Got some great milestones. 50 years, Aaron Chris. Wow. You don't look a day over. <laughs> so. Is Eric still with us? Where's he gone? He's left. Elvis has left the building. Oh, well. um, isn't this some wonderful presence? Isn't worship just building right now? Um, you know, there's uh, revival breaking out around the world, different places. And I understand, I've not been there, but I understand it's happening in a very simple, not big and Hollywood-like uh, format. I think God's doing some really powerful things in people's lives. kind of resonates in me that uh, the end of the times is uh, we're getting closer. We are, technically, every day. <laughs> You're going to find some other profound points <laughs> from the preacher today. <laughs> He's uh, uh, been described as a numbnut. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we've been talking um, for, for a few weeks, well, actually for a few months, about walking together in him. And uh, we've added in the last uh, month... Uh, the four others, and walking together. Let's just have that slide. Walking together, in him, four others, helping people see Jesus. I wanted to break it down like that because it's actually those three areas that make this up. And uh, we're focusing in this last month on, on the four others. And it's a very important part. And <clears throat> we've been speaking out of the last few weeks uh, about a, a story in Luke. We'll just read that story one more time, just in case you've forgotten it. But it's in Luke 18. Is it? Luke 18, 1 to 10. And we've got Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement enjoy but the people were displeased he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner they grumbled meanwhile Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said I will give my wealth to the poor half my wealth to the poor Lord and if I have cheated people on their taxes I will give them back four times as much Jesus responded salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Let's just pray. Lord, we come around your word this morning. And Father God, we just stop and we open our hearts. We know your word changes. Lord, your word is like a two-edged sword. 
And so we ask this morning in each life here that we would hear your word, that we would have ears to hear and we would hear your word and you will change our life. In Jesus' name, amen. A few aspects, um, it's actually Luke 19, <laughs> sorry Dan, always there's a typo, you know what? I'm always cramming, getting my notes ready at the last minute. And so, sorry, that is Luke 19, 1 to 10. <laughs> sorry. Uh-oh. <laughs> and we've been covering a few aspects of that. Pastor Dan uh, took a first uh, view of that about getting above the noise of this world that uh, people can see Jesus. And, and we, we, went through, we went through that. And, and Pastor Denzel was talking about being the names that people give us, but hearing that uh, we've always been known by Jesus. It was a wonderful message. Last week, Pastor Dan talked about the joy, it says, joyously welcoming Jesus, the joy that came on Zacchaeus and his household in, and the power of operating in the joy of Jesus. And that was a great word. Today, we're talking about God is greater than idols. I wonder why they gave that to me. <laughs> I love how, uh, and this is, this is how Dan's kept me in the faith over the years. And before him, Pastor Eric used to pretty, give Graham a word to speak because he, he actually needs to know this. And uh, that's fair call, but um, that's all right. But let me say these messages um, are deeply for us as Christians. They're not just a quaint story about how a notorious sinner gets saved. They're not about uh, if we can just get our neighbour up the tree, if we can just get our neighbour to come to church and they'll see Jesus, then my job is done. They're not about that. This is speaking to us deeply as Christians. The others is a big part of our Christian conversion our salvation, a very big part. In fact, Jesus, Jesus um, spoke of that. And it's a reality that so many Christians in the church today, and I've been guilty of it myself, is not even acknowledging this aspect of our salvation. Is that the others is a big part of it. And um, I just want to read this passage out of, I'm reading this book, a Ray Comfort book. It's called God Has a Wonderful Plan for Your Life. And it's really talking uh, about the story that we try to present to the world. You know, and uh, as if we don't get the full picture, if we don't get the full severity of what we're called to do in regards to others, then we're going to miss the picture altogether. We're not going to carry out what God's called us to do. But just listen to this. It says, um, and through the idea of false conversions in church, he's been talking about there's a whole bunch of people sit in church every week, but maybe they're not even saved. By, by, by evidence that this aspect of others has no part in their world. It's not there, but Jesus talks so strongly in the parables. And he talks this and he says, though the idea of false conversions may be new to us, the problem of false converts has existed since the beginning of the church and it is actually a topic Jesus spoke often about. For example, in Mark 4, 3 to 8, 
Jesus taught the crowd the well-known parable of the sower. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. It yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, and some sixtyfold, and some a hundredfold. Jesus talks about this story, and um, and he goes on and he says, when Jesus told his disciples the parable of the sower, they did not understand what it meant. And when they asked about asked him about it later, he said, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, if they could not, if they could comprehend the parable of the sower, they would hold the key to unlocking the mysteries of all the other parables. If there is one message that comes from the parable about the stony ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground, it is this. When the gospel is preached, there will be true and false conversions. Judas Iscariot, for example, was a false convert. He was a hypocrite, a pretender, whose desire, it seems, was for riches and power, which choked out his affection for Christ. In terms of the parable, we would say that he was a thorny ground hearer, in whom the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choked the word, and it became unfruitful. This is pretty scary stuff. The, the, the whole measure here is, was the fruitfulness. You know, Judas went through the same practice he, as all the other disciples. He went around listening to Jesus and, get, and carrying out everything else. We come to church every week and we carry out everything. But the thing that didn't come out of his life was any fruit. No fruitfulness. I'm cut to the heart when I read this. I, I'm challenged. I am challenged. In context to our theme for the month, for others, we see Jesus speak strongly to this point, that if the fruit of our lives for others, um, if there is no fruit, then we may well be at the risk of not even being saved. This sounds scary. You can't really be saying that, are you, Graham? You can't really be challenging, am I even saved? You told me that if we come to Jesus and I, and I pray and ask him into our life, yes, that's true. But let's have a look at this progression, the full salvation encounter that happens in Zacchaeus' life. And let's see where the big difference is. Um, just slide three, if you would. The wheat and, and the weeds or the tares... And just quickly, in, in Matthew 13, 27 to 30, Jesus talks about a farmer works. Uh, a farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the, uproot the wheat, and if you do, let both grow together until the harvest. Then I'll tell the harvest to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and put the weed in the barns. 
you know, we can be all traveling together here. <laughs> we could look like the same stuff in the field. But we might be a wheat. We might be a weed. One is producing fruit and one isn't. Jesus talks harshly to this. You know, we, we, we live in an age where we want to soften. We want to make palatable the gospel. This book talks about the fact of the matter is that the message of Jesus Christ and eternity is a, is a hard message. There's a time coming when the door will shut. And, and we know, it, it tells us in the Word we, we need to inspect ourselves. We need to look at ourselves. And, and let me say, put on the lens, to look through the lens of what fruit is my life producing. This is not a work thing. This is not like if I get 10 people saved and I must be saved. No. This is a whole ethos thing. This is a reality of this. Does my salvation mean that much? Has it come to a place? You know, friends, only 1% of Christians actively share their faith and make disciples. This is a statistic. 1% actively share... It's <laughs> got cotton mouth here. Yeah. Thanks. Actively share their faith and make disciples. You know, Jesus gave us one job when he left. One job. Go into all the world and make disciples. Didn't say, hey, go out and go to church every week and go out and do that or build a worship team. So go and make disciples. One job. Whoever gets that from their partner. <laughs> I gave you one job. <laughs> eh? She comes home and you're on the, watching footy on the couch. I just gave you one thing to do. How serious is God here? He's going to burn them. Thanks so much. This is the first water I've had since last time I preached. Love water. Oh, look, look at that. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. God is serious here. We come, this is this beautiful place, this house of God, and we worship and we, we, we actually um, we encounter God. His Holy Spirit's here. It tells us two or more gathered in his name. There he is in the midst. God of all creation, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That God is here. And he, come, he, wants us to, he wants us to hear this word. So I'm cut to the heart. In my life journey so far, it's been quite a, a roller coaster. And, you know, I've lost my wife of 38 years just 10 months ago. But I cannot ignore how God has positioned me right now to hear this word. That's scary. I, I can't take that too far in my head. But to say that that's the reality. I stand here today and God is impressing on my heart to wake up. To wake up. I've been a Christian for 40 years. 
1983, May 1983, I became a Christian. 40 years. I've been a member of this church for 33 years. I preach the word, I've led most departments, I'm on the board, I'm an executive pastor, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but where's the fruit of my salvation? Where, where's, where's my heartbeat for the lost? This is, this is an awesome club. Where's the heartbeat for the lost? So I stand here. Whoa. Probably some of you are saying, yeah, we knew you were a bit idolatrous, Graham, with your big boats and your fast cars. <laughs> About time God spoke to you. <laughs> Let me say that the big boats and fast cars are the least of my problem. And, uh, and if you're thinking that about me, you may have a problem too. <laughs> In the last three months, I've helped of a friend. I began reading the word each morning, a psalm and another passage of scripture and praying on it. It's pretty good after 40 years, <laughs> about time. You know, when I first got saved, I did that all the time. But things get in the way, I get busy, I get important, I get things to do and I'm important. And those things drop off. But let me tell you, reading the Word and praying on it, the Word changes our life. What God speaks through His Word. What I want to unpack now from this passage, and I, I've got a lot, I just want to move through it pretty quickly because I want to get to the main point. But what I unpack for this passage now is my recent journey, which I'll pray cuts to your heart as well as that it has mine. It's my prayer this morning that this cuts to your heart, that you have an ear to hear what God is saying to you. This is, I love this, uh, this prayer, and I want to make us out a prayer. And if anything I'm saying to you is remotely resonating in you now, I want you to follow this out of Psalm 119 on slide four, if you could put that up. This is, a, this is David. I've been following David in the Psalms. He's such a character. I so relate to him. Like, man, but what I want to relate to him is how he comes back to God, how he comes and he, he acknowledges the word of God is a lamp unto his feet, a guide to his feet and a light for his path. I need the word of God now to light up where I'm walking. I'm on a new path right now. I'm heading down a new path in life. I need the word of God to light it up. I don't want to follow the path that I've walked in for 40 years. That's, yeah, some good stuff for sure. But a whole lot of own stuff in there whole lot of pathways were all about me and not about anybody else. And I walked down and I can justify getting provision for my family and this and that. And, but at, at the end of the day, I want the word of God to be a lamp unto my feet and to light my path. Because he goes on to say, I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I promised it once in May 1983. I promised, I repented. And became a Christian. And I promised I'd follow your word. 
that the things of this world can strangle us. The weeds that grow up amongst us can strangle us. But I want to pray that again. I want to promise that again, God. I will obey your righteous regulations. I have suffered much, O Lord, and I have. Restore my life again as you have promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. My life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from my, your commandments. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. Well, let you just earmark this. Let this be your prayer. Can this be your prayer? Some of these that you need to promise it again. Some of you have never promised it. And there's opportunity today to, to, to promise to God for the first time. Some of us need to promise again. You know, slide five, if we can... Let's unpack the scripture today, but slide five tells us that uh, we need to become a true son of the house of God. In Luke uh, 19, 9 and 10, it says, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. He became a true son of Abraham. The fact of the matter is Zacchaeus was already in the house of God. Zacchaeus was already a child of God. Zacchaeus was already in church. But he wasn't a true son of God. So something had to happen in him to become the true son of Abraham, being God's people. It might be something that needs to happen in you or me today to become a true convert become a true follower of Jesus. This is hard, but I want it to be hard on this side of eternity and not on that side. If we don't get this right, can you imagine? Dull. It'll be the biggest dull. <laughs> he was already part of God's family. <clears throat> but look at the state he was in. The others, the others that we're talking about today, the others around him called him a notorious sinner. The others around you might not be calling you a notorious sinner. Maybe you are, Mark. But, <laughs> but what are they saying of you? What are the others saying of you? Do they see any change? Are you materially different? to how you were before. You know, I love this thing. If we go to slide six, the whole call, what being a son of Abraham was about, was that they were blessed to be a blessing. I learned this scripture very early in Genesis 12 two. God says, I will bless you and I'll make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. The same story applies to us. He wants to bless us that we'll be a blessing to others. He wants to use us as a conduit of his love. He wants us to come through. He wants to save us. And on the way through, he wants to save others. The people that are in our world, the only person that might be in their world is you. What are you carrying? You carrying the light? 
you coming to them with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, or not? Blessed to be a blessing. See, Zacchaeus was far from that. No families on earth were being blessed through him. <laughs> they were just, it was ending in him. How many others on this earth are being blessed by you or me? Slide seven quickly, if we will. The first and foundational commandment is in Exodus 20, two to four. Just one sec. It is. <laughs> Who would have ever guessed that? Exodus 22 to 4. I am the Lord your God. This is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. We, we kind of like, you know, think, oh, well, that was the law and that was old. No, no, this has not changed. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And through Jesus, we can fulfill the law. But the foundation of the first of all the commandments is this. I will bless you. Oh, no, no sorry. I am the... <laughs> better. Um, I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God, Graham, who rescued you from the Shire, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea, cleaning your boat. You must not bow down to them. You must not let them tell you what to do. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. That hasn't changed. Jesus didn't come to change that. Jesus came to fulfill that. Jesus came to, uh, to give us a way to do this. And he gave his life firstly to pay the price because we aren't, weren't doing this. And he gave us the power of the Holy Spirit, the helper, to help us to do this. This is the commandment. This has not changed. See, the root cause in this is idols. The root cause is idols in our lives, causing our inability to carry out that only job Jesus gave us to do, which is to go in the world and make all disciples. So I tell you that right now, the thorns that strangle us, of the idols in our life. And, um, you know, there's obvious idols, but I found this great reading in Timothy Keller's book, The Gospel in Life, and it lists a whole range of the very subtle idols that actually have us, all of us, in one way or one capacity or another. And that, if that, Can I just get that one up on there? It's slide eight. And I don't want to go through this. There's a whole list of them. But there's things in your life and my life which are idols. I know they're idols because we could not live without it. We depended on it every day. We, we are driven by it. It tells us what to do and we do it. There's one for power, success, winning, influence. You know, your greatest nightmare is humiliation. These are the ways you'll know that this is an idol. People around you often feel used by your, your powerful need for success or to win. Your problem emotion is anger. You respond with anger. These are, the, these are attributes which I would, if you've got your phone, take a picture of this. Maybe just get, have a good look at this today. 
Because these are subtle idols that drive our life. These, these actually drive us. These actually control us in place of the one true God. And they've got approval. Many of us seek approval. You know, we want people's affirmation and love and relationship. We need people to love us. And, and, if they, and we'll do so much to make that happen. We'll dance, for, we'll do whatever we need to be loved. That, my friend, is an approval idol. You know, our greatest nightmare is rejection. We get smothered. People around us often feel smothered by us. Your problem emotion is your cowardice. You won't stand up. These These are strong, but these are real. Comfort. This rings a bell. We want privacy. We want our own time. We want to just, uh, lack of stress. Don't annoy me right now. We want freedom. You want financial independence. Our greatest nightmare is stress and demands. People around us often feel neglected because you're just looking after yourself. Your problem is boredom. The great hunter of things, shiny things, once I've got it, a few days later, mm-mm. what's next? Comfort. Oh, we can justify it. Oh, you've worked so long, Gray. You deserve that. Come on, take a break. We're not, We're in a warfare, guys. We're running. The finish line's coming. What are we all trying to retire or lay low? Just give me my space. Control. This is a huge one, control. Many of us have to control things around us. We don't handle it very well. Uh, Our uncertainty is our nightmare. Things are uncertain, so I've got to get control of it. I've got to control this relationship. I've got to control this deal. Um, Self-discipline, you know, certainty, standards. They're things that are my God, my idol. People around you feel condemned. What's going on there? Your problem is worry. Unless you're controlled, you're worrying. Friends, I bring this list. This is so real. This is so us. This is in our space. We may or may not agree. This doesn't matter. These things exist. And um, I ask us to take a, under the presence of the Holy Spirit right now, I ask you to take a good, long, hard think of this. And just see what's happening in your world. But if we can bring up the slide nine, and this is um, this is the main point that I want to bring today is repentance. You know, the full salvation journey. If you have a look at it, and that's the beautiful thing of, of Zacchaeus is that it was a full salvation experience. And as I mentioned before, it's one necessary for one who was already in the house of God. He's already a son of Abraham, but yet he needed this salvation experience. And the way it works is that something triggered in him. We don't know, but something triggered in in Zacchaeus. And you may be sitting here right now with a sense of, just something on you, some sense of guilt. Something's not right. 
That caused Zacchaeus to go and climb up the sycamore tree to look for this Jesus. He heard of this Jesus, the, the, the hope. And so he went to look for him. But the beautiful thing is that when we do this in the salvation experience, when we genuinely go to look for Jesus, he says, if you seek, you will find if you genuinely feel that right now, I'm going to push in. I'm going to find Jesus. I've had this epiphany just recently. I knew from all what's gone on in my world, I need to find Jesus again. I need to look for him. And when I do, he comes to me like a flood. He runs to me. The prodigal father shames himself, pulls up his tunic and runs across the field to meet his son. The son that went, wasted his money, lived a horrible life, but had the same epiphany that I've had, that Zacchaeus had, that I need to go back to the house of God. I need to go back to Jesus. And he comes, and he comes. But this is the key. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. That, my friend, is repentance. That is repentance. Repentance is turn and walk the opposite way. We need to do that. These other idols in our lives that have got, we need to walk the other way from them. And we need to walk to Jesus. We need to look him full in the eye. You know, I love that. He stood before the Lord. He stood before the Lord. And as we stand here today, as sit here, we're before the Lord. We're in the presence of his Holy Spirit right now. We're reading the word of God. We're standing before Jesus. And friends, we need repentance. We need to make a decision. You know, that we, 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 we can, we're so, I talked about the full salvation journey. Because so often we, we come to Jesus, we hear a word like this, and it stirs our heart, and we come before Jesus again, and then we come to this point. See, Zacchaeus had to actually do, go and do that. He had to turn back to the people he'd ripped off and go back and in some cases give them four times. Mark informs me that's actually a Jewish law. In the Jewish community, if you rip someone off or do something wrong, you have to give them four times. But you know what the best part of the story is? Is can you imagine? And there's two two parts of the story. Sorry. The people, the others, that looked at Zacchaeus before, he's a notorious sinner. After he meets Jesus, he's given for what? Four times back, and half his wealth. He's giving half his wealth away. Who does that? Wow, that's so upside down. That's so not Zacchaeus. That's right. That came because Zacchaeus repented. It wouldn't have come if the story was just, man, that Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. And Jesus, woohoo, 
telling everybody, Jesus came to my house. Big deal. How often do we just say, hey, you need to come to my church because it's really good. The church is great. I love you. So good there. Yeah? What's it done in your life? What's it actually done in your life? But when you turn up and your life is changed, when you've stopped being the power tripper, the control freak, everything else, is that, you know, often they say, where's Graham gone? <laughs> Sad, but, you know, when I try to do things nice, they go, what happened to Graham? What have you done with him? <laughs> That's what we want people to say. That's the others. If we're going to impact others, it's not with a really nice, pretty story. Jesus made me happy, happy all the day. <laughs> it's a problem of being bringing up in the Sunday school in the 60s. I cannot get those songs out of my head. <laughs> That's another thing. We'll talk about deliverance another week. Friends, this is serious. Can I get the, the band to join us? You obviously didn't. I, I was going to tell you when to come, didn't I? I forgot. Friends, in summary, if we... You know, we stand before him right now. We've, uh, I believe we have fresh revelation. I don't think there's anyone who says that we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. I think that uh, we constantly do. And I think these subtle idols get hold of us and we just, um, just soaks into us. We don't even realise it. But we must repent. We must turn our lives the other way. Can you imagine what would happen right now? The Holy Ghost falls right across this place. Right across this place. And we start seeing. We start seeing. What's a blocker? What's a blocker in my life from sharing the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he changed my life, that once I was dying and now I'm alive. That's the story. That's the full story. Not that Jesus Christ is nice. No, he changed my life. It, uh, it demanded that I surrender my life to him and it changed my life. That's going to have a big impact on people. It's not very, um, it's not a real favourable message in this day and age. We live in a wokey world. We live in lots of tolerance. I get tolerance, but not when it comes across or cuts across the Word of God. Not when it contradicts the Word of God. The Word of God said we have sinned. The Word of God says that that is sin. And we only can, the only way we can get through that by the blood of Jesus is to repent, is to turn our life the other way and to make a marked material difference in your world. And that's what people will want it. That's what people will notice. And that's how we go. That's how we love others. Let me just pray over us before we worship. This new format of church is really deliberate. That we have worship 
after the Word. That the Word of God might percolate in us. What I've said now, the Word of God, what God has said, let it percolate in you as we worship, as we sing these words. And don't leave today without responding to what God's called you to do. We don't need to know. That's not the point. It's between you and God. There's a process going forward where you need to confess to God and you need to, you know, you need to come before God and make commitments again like David did. But that's between you and God. We're down the front as pastors. We're happy to pray with you as well. And if you're making this decision for the first time today, please, I encourage you, come and tell somebody that we can pray with you and help you get started on this journey. It's a journey, all right. But do, don't leave today. As we worship now, and God speaks to you, the Holy Spirit resonating in you and stirring you, don't leave today. Just good message. No. Do your business with God today. Like Zacchaeus, still before him. And he, 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 speak to God. Speak it out. Speak out the sin. Speak out the idol to God. Acknowledge it. Ask for forgiveness. And ask for his help to move forward. And know that he meets you there. Know that he's secure. He's real. Let's just pray. Father God, Lord, what a privilege that you would call us all. That, Lord, that you would wake us up again. That you would come to us. Lord, and you would show yourself to us. Father, forgive us. Where we've allowed the idols in this world to fill our lives, to control us, to tell us how we should behave or act or speak. And Father, we confess that as sin. And Lord, we choose today to repent. We repent. Father, we turn around. And just as Zacchaeus gave four times back and half his things away, God, we, we, we come and we, we turn back. But we pray all this, Father, for those that fruit that you want to bear through our lives, the others. Father, we... We're so sorry that we've neglected the others. We're so sorry that we've been so focused on ourselves that we've neglected the others. Help us, Father God. Help us now. In Jesus' name.